Mission Kona podcast, where our focus is on highlighting age group athletes doing amazing things in the triathlon space. My name is Michelle Payne. And I am Mike Payne. We are husband and wife, amateur triathletes, parents, and self-proclaimed coffee connoisseurs, both working in corporate America. Mike is also a triathlon coach and recently qualified for Kona in October of 2023. Michelle completed her first half Ironman in 2021 and plans to race a full Ironman in the near future. This podcast is a journey to discovering what it takes to be competitive in triathlon, sharing stories, and finding the inspiration to go after challenging but worthwhile goals. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. So before you enjoy this episode, I wanted to give a quick update. So Matt just raced Ironman Florida, and he finished second in his age group, fourth overall, had an unbelievable race, and accepted his 2023 Kona slot. So I hope uh, I hope you guys enjoy this episode and look forward to seeing and watching him race next year. Welcome to Mission Kona Podcast, the podcast that highlights top age group athletes and their uh, race to Kona. My name is Mike. And I'm Michelle. And today we are interviewing one of those top age group athletes, Matt Jackson. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So um, I know Matt personally, he's the fastest athlete that I've ever met. So I'm excited that Matt said uh, yes, that he was going to join the podcast, but he, uh, he lives about, I don't know, 20 minutes from where I train all the time and we've done some training together. So um, again, I, I think uh, the, one of the keys to this podcast is highlighting age group athletes, the athletes that have rose through the ranks and Matt has definitely done that. So for the first 15 minutes of the podcast, I'd love to talk about who you are, uh, where you came from, and just some background. So let's start with let's start with that. Who are you? So um, right now, I am 29 years old. Uh, I started triathlon back when I was uh, probably 23 or 24 with a sprint. But um, uh, I guess... Sorry, to, to answer your question more directly, I'm an engineer at John Deere. Um, I'm a husband of coming up on two years here. And uh, yeah, pretty much triathlon is uh, where my focus has been since I started my career at John Deere. Um, and does your wife understand what it means to be a triathlete? Is she also a triathlete? <laughs> Yeah, so we actually met through Ironman. We met at Ironman Louisville. Um, I was racing and she was spectating. And uh, she had she has done Ironman Coeur d'Alene. Um, and that's kind of what, uh, what connected us in the first place. So she's been through all the training necessary to, to do a full. And so she kind of knows what it entails. Um, and I think at this point, she, she definitely appreciates and supports um, what I'm trying to do uh, you know, eventually to, to turn pro in triathlon. So is that the, is that the goal? Uh, when, when do you have your, uh, sights set on that? Uh, you know, one of my buddies actually just, um, asked me that exact question earlier today. And I think there's a couple things that I want to do as an age grouper first, before I turn pro. Um, I've seen a couple other athletes turn pro, um, but they hadn't been to Kona yet. And so they actually went back to age group to qualify. Um, I, I personally don't want to do that. I think that when I turn pro, I want to I want to stay pro and do that for, you know, as long as I can or as long as I enjoy it before, um, you know, potentially switching back. So I guess what, what I came up with today is I haven't won a race yet, um, at least age group. So one thing I'd like to do before I turn pro is is win age group in a race. And the current thing that I have my um, site set on is a top five finish at Kona. Um, awesome. awesome. Okay. So let's, um, before we go back into like how this all started, I, I want to give out some, some quick highlights. So really uh, 2021 and 2022 were great, great years for you, right? So you raced your first Kona just a few weeks ago with a 929.42. I think you're pretty happy with that time for your first experience at Kona. Um, but like a couple other things, I mean, in 2021, um, Ironman Wisconsin, second year age group, right? At, at a 944. 
the first time you raced Wisconsin was it like was it 2017 yeah. and 11:38, so almost mm-hmm. two hours, almost two hours cut off that time. Um, so there's just a, a unbelievable progression. But when I looked at all your race results recently, Steelhead stood stood out at me as as just something that was was uh, pretty impressive. So you were fourth overall, second in your age group, and you had an, uh, a 120 run. Um, and those are all like, that's a big PR for you, a four eleven on that course on that day I was there. So I know it was, wasn't the easiest swim. It wasn't the greatest conditions really. Um, and you had an awesome race. So, um, but yeah, I looked at the, you know, prior to 2019, um, you were, you were competitive, but you weren't at the, you were, you were, you know, somewhere. Definitely a huge progression. Yeah. You had a huge progression. So tell me, um, what's your background in sports? Like you're. You, did you run like a 15 minute 5k in high school or are you this <laughs> incredible runner? That's where I probably should have started with. So I, I got into running, I mean, way back in elementary school, I was always the the kid that was kind of winning the gym mile. Um, I can remember in, I think it was fourth grade, I ran a 918 mile. I don't know why that number sticks in my head, but, um, and it wasn't until about middle school that, um, you know, other athletes, other, you know, middle schoolers were, were quicker than me when I joined track. Um, but once I got to high school, I actually missed the start of cross country and track for the first two years. So I always knew I was, I, I liked running. I was pretty good at it, but, um, I don't know. I just, I never made it a priority in high school. So it wasn't until my junior year that I finally joined cross country and I wasn't, I was in the varsity seven, but I was usually always the sixth or seventh runner. Um, my PR by my senior year was, I think, a 1634, something like that. And that might have even been a three mile, not even a 5K. Um, so I was just kind of there. I was never, never quite at the, uh, you know, the state level in terms of competing. Um, I ran a 438 mile in track. Um, but if I wanted to, you know, actually compete, I had to be like a 420 miler. So I was definitely a little bit off the mark there. So I was, I was good, but I'd say I wasn't, I wasn't great. I wasn't really turning any heads. Um, so when I went to college, I didn't really have any intent on continuing running. Um, I just kind of dropped it at that point. Did you play other sports as well? Or was running really your, your kind of only thing? Running and marching band. All right. You did marching band in college. Uh, no, and oh. just in high school. <laughs> um, so in college, I played I played a lot of ultimate frisbee. Um, Mike did which that is too. <laughs> a lot of a lot of sprinting around, a lot of cutting, a lot of quick turns. So definitely far from anything considered endurance. But I will say, my freshman year in college, after one year of not running since high school, I ran a marathon on about two weeks of training. Oh my gosh. Um, wow. Short stories. Had a friend get injured and uh, she was graduating and moving to California and just was looking to transfer her registration to somebody. And so, you know, just walking to class was my exercise. I tried not to take the bus very much. And I had the running background, uh, maybe the the mental strength to push through something like that. So I think my longest run in high school was 11 or 12 miles. Um, I got up to 16, I think four or five days out from the race, um, <laughs> learned, learned what a goo was for the first time. I actually ran to a running store, bought a goo with my credit card that I carried with me, took the goo and then, and then ran oh back. What, so your first, awful. so your first like road race was a marathon you're saying? Uh, other than like turkey trots, maybe. Okay. Sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But and never did. uh, you didn't really taper. It sounds like you did a long run four days before. So you're, <laughs> but that's, uh, that's an awesome story. Do you, what, what race was that? Do you remember the, was it that was marathon? Christie clinic, Illinois marathon Okay. in 2013, I believe I ran a three thirteen something. Oh my gosh. That's, that's <laughs> all right. That's incredible. But I so will then say you were hooked. Good. Then you were hooked. No. <laughs> No, I couldn't walk for about two weeks. Uh, my body was so damaged. I mean, with such lack of training, um, I just wanted to do it to say I did it. And um, at some point, I, my brother had convinced me to, you know, buy a road bike. Like maybe my sophomore year, 
Um, and then we ended up doing our first sprint triathlon together, but. All right. Awesome. So I haven't heard anything. So you got a road bike, you've been running all your life. What about swimming? Like when did that start? Um, I mean, I'll just give a highlight. I mean, Kona, you swam right at an hour, uh, which is, you know, that's a, that's a very, that's a, that's a very competitive time, right? Mm -hmm. That's a, finally you're getting there. That's a, that's a good highlight for most, most, uh, age group athletes. So what's your swimming story? Uh, you know, I took swim lessons as a kid, um, you know, learning the elementary backstroke, monkey airplane, rocket ship, all that good stuff. Um, but beyond that, I just, I knew how to swim, but I have no, no formal swim training whatsoever. When I first started swimming, I actually went to like a local community college and just bought a punch pass to swim two days a week. Um, I swam in board shorts and my swim training initially consisted of simply wanting to swim. I'd pick 50 laps and I'd just go down and back. 50 times, no breaks, open turns in my board shorts, and then I'd get out and that'd be my swim. And my goal for the first Ironman was to do, I think, it, I think I want to do three miles, which is, I can't even remember. That's like 120 laps or something like that. So, and I didn't, I didn't speak in yards. I spoke in either laps or, or miles. Like I just swam 2.4 miles in the pool, which was 82.5 laps. <laughs> Like that. That's awesome. So, um, but yeah. you, did, you did graduate from board, board shorts to Speedo now, right? No, no, no Speedo. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, you're not a Speedo guy. All right. All right. I'm, I'm, I think I'm still at the point where I don't think I've earned my Speedo. I think once I can maybe swim under 120 per 100 comfortably, oh. I think that I can get a Speedo. But, All right. I, 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 I got to go get the jammers. Mike went straight to the Speedo, so he, he needs to go backwards now. <laughs> The looks that you get with a speedo are just—it's just—it's just awesome. It's worth—it's worth the price of admission. Yeah. Um, let's jump into some Ironman uh, chatting. I don't. Who is your coach now? Um, how long have you been with that coach? And tell us about being a, a coach athlete. What do you like about it? Yeah. So I guess to quickly go back to um, when I kind of made that jump from 2019 into well, two years into 21. Um, that's around the time that I started working with. His name is Brent Pease. Um, he's actually known. He he races with his brother, Kyle. Um, so he'll pull him in the boat and they've got a, a bike together. And then, uh, and then he pushes them on the run. Uh, and they did Kona, hope I don't get this wrong, back in 2018. And so that's kind of how I knew about him. And then Connections, my wife actually used to be coached by him several years ago. So that's kind of how we got connected in the first place. Um, and I'd say he's the reason why I've jumped up to that next level where most races I'm at least on the podium or I'm top 10 overall as an amateur. Um, and that initially came with him just adding me to his training peaks. So he said, hey, I'm just going to add you on. I'm just going to take a look at stuff for a little while, kind of see how you're doing, see what you're doing. And uh, apparently I was not doing anything right. <laughs> um, you know, I was training probably six to eight hours a week. I think my biggest week was 10 or 12. Um, and I, I just ran hard all the time. I was probably running low seven minute miles as a, you know, 310, 305 marathoner. Yeah. Um, and now I haven't truly raced a marathon, but I'm, I'm assuming I could run in the low two forties and my easy runs, I probably run around a 745 mile. Sure. You know, 90% yeah. of the time. So that was the first thing that that he had tweaked for me was um, you're going way too hard all the time. You need to slow it down and you need to increase your volume. Um, and then the other thing was I, I needed a rest day once a week because I was beating myself up so much. Um, once I kind of adopted this high volume, low intensity training, kind of building that, that aerobic base, um, that's where I was able to stretch it out to you know, two, three, four weeks before I would ever even take a rest day. So through, through 2020, I kind of did that on my own. And then when I made the decision to, you know, really gun for Kona, uh, I had signed up for Ironman Tulsa and I asked him to coach me for that race. And so sure enough, he picked me up as an athlete and trained me for 
probably about six to eight months. And at Tulsa, I think I was third in my age group. And then they had a couple extra slots because it was the the North American Championship. Um, so you got your slot in, at, at that race. So, yeah. um, and what I, year was that? That was twenty twenty one. Back in yep. Okay, and so um, when did you when you first started Ironman? Did you you have your sights set on Kona? Back in 2017, or even before that, when did you start thinking that Kona was uh, a dream a goal. or a goal? Yeah. Say, I had I had no idea what Kona was when I first started. Um, I was just I was just doing it to say I did an Ironman. Um, I even thought about getting the tattoo sort of thing, <laughs> um, but it it wasn't until maybe late in 2018 after I did my second at Madison. Um, that I kind of thought, so to step back, I did the marathon on little to no training. And that made me think, okay, well, what's harder than a marathon if I can do that? Well, okay, an Ironman. And so then I did the Ironman and did a, another one at Louisville. I did another one at Madison. And then I just kind of thought, okay, well, I've done this three times now. What What is harder than an Ironman? And maybe not an additional event, but within Ironman, qualifying for Kona is kind of I don't know, the the pinnacle maybe for, for an age grouper. Um, and he, even as I'm learning now, when I qualified for Kona, and now that I've raced there, I'm already thinking, okay, well, what's next? Like, what mm-hmm. what else can I do? What what goes beyond this? And then that's kind of what's led me into, you know, our ultimately targeting a top five finish in the next probably two years would be my guess. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, Let's see. So, so the race that you qualified for Kona was Tulsa. That that's the race that you got your qualification spot. Um, and that was also your first go training, fully training under a coach. Um, what, what I guess was memorable about that race in Tulsa or, or the build for that race? where you did achieve that goal, which I'm sure you had, you know, kind of your sights set on to perform well. Mm -hmm. I think, I guess, thinking about, you know, some of the age groupers that are going to be listening to this, uh, one of the main differences in my training was, was massive weekends. Um, Initially I had trained, you know, closer to two to three hours per day and I would still do a long ride and run, but my weekends weren't really that big, but I was still getting to that, that 20 hours a week normally versus what Brent has had me do. Um, He's had several occasions where I've done double century rides on, on a Saturday and Sunday. Um, He's had me do several workouts where I'll swim a 5k in the morning. I'll go bike a hundred miles and, you know, do a 30 minute run off the bike. So, you know, within one day I'm training maybe six to eight hours. Um, as opposed to kind of spreading it out throughout the week, which for me was more comfortable rather than kind of doing this big day. And to me, it now makes a lot more sense that an Ironman can be a, a 10 hour day, 10 hour plus day for, for a lot of us. And I'm barely to the point where I'm, you know, consistently under 10 hours. So having those, those really long Saturdays, I think was, was really key um, as well as the amount of them. So it, my, my first build, that I trained myself in 2017, I did 100 mile ride and 120 mile ride. And that was it. But until that point, I had never ridden 30 miles when I first started. So I was kind of ramping up versus he had me do at least 10 century rides before that race. No, yeah. all on the trainer. Cause this was in May. Yeah. I think I did yeah. maybe two or three of them outside when it was probably 40 degrees. Um, I guess the other thing would be a lot of things were more time-based. So, um, I, you know, I had a seven hour ride in there and when I rode outside for seven hours and it was 45 degrees, I think I only made it maybe 120 miles or so versus, you know, on a nice summer day, you might be averaging 20, you might get up to 140. Yeah. So then, the those, those big Saturdays, have they evolved into maybe some more intensity into some of those as well? So now you're doing these big days, but you're also, you know, strengthening the legs and getting like familiar with what race pace feels like on these big days. Absolutely. And yeah, as 
still working with me and and built me up for Kona, I had several workouts where, uh, you know, I might be doing two by one hour at my Ironman effort. That way I can really feel what that's like on my legs after a full week of fatigue. Right. So that when I actually got to Kona and I was trying to push, you know, 210, 215 watts, uh, you know, my body was ready for it, but it was also fully tapered and recovered. Right. Sure. Right. Let's so, um, yeah, let's just jump into Kona. You're already talking about that a little bit. So let's talk about, you know, the training that you did for this year's Kona. Um, and how about let's start with when did you arrive on the island? Did you get there early so you get heat prepped? So initially, uh, I was expecting to race on Saturday, and then they ended up switching to that two-day format. Um, so when I found out I was going to be one of the few male age groups racing on Thursday, I had to bump my flights up a little bit sooner um, just to make sure I was there for check-in, make sure I could build my bike, make sure nothing was wrong with it, get a couple rides out on the Queen K sort of thing. So I flew in on Sunday. Um and then, you know, when I got there, it was 12 hours of travel and I was pretty much, pretty much done for the day. Yeah. Um, I remember I went to bed, I think at like 6.30 or 7 p.m. Hawaiian time, which was uh, 11.30 midnight our time. Um, and one thing I decided early on when I got to the island was I was going to maintain that sleep schedule. So, um, you know, after the sun went down at about 6.15 every day, that's kind of when I started winding down and I I think I was in bed no later than 7.30 or 8 every single night just to try to maintain getting up at, you know, 4 or 5 a.m. That way race day was less of a shock. Yeah. So I uh, arrived there Sunday, which was uh, four days before the race, um, then had basically Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to to train and then do all the, you know, typical Ironman logistics of check-in and gear check and um briefings and all that stuff and obviously so you qualified in 2021 planning to race that fall right and then that didn't happen which took you to <laughs> to the fall of 2022 um how and, did that Andy, Andy raced uh world championships at st george right this year as well yeah. so i mean yeah 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 to, maybe to touch on that real quick so my qualification at tulsa when they decided to have the 21 world championship in May of 22 at St. George, um, scheduling wise, it actually made more sense for me to do that. Um, so I ended up picking St. George between the two, um, in hopes and maybe poor assumption that at Madison in the fall of 21, um, I would get another slot because I, I felt like I was racing at that level where, as long as I had a, a decent day or a good day, um, I'd be getting another slot. So I used Tulsa to race St. George and then was fortunate enough at Madison uh, to qualify for Kona uh, again, I guess, a second time. Probably. So I ended up racing St. George in May and then Kona in the fall. Um, and for me, that made for it has made since it's still going for a very long race season. Yeah, right. So yeah, I, for sure tried to peak myself out in May and then I've just re-peaked here in October for Kona and then we can talk about it later but I've got Florida coming up in two weeks uh, yeah 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 so I mean October training in 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 the Midwest it doesn't really prep you for for heat and you only had three days to train on the island right Monday Tuesday Wednesday did you feel like um that is something that you would if if or when you do Kona again, uh, will there be any changes there with your heat prep? Or did you feel like it went well? But did you do sauna training? Uh, those kinds of things. I think I think my heat prep went well. Um, I do a lot of maybe silly things uh, outside of training to try to get myself more heat acclimated. So, you know, at work, I'm always wearing some sort of like light jacket or vest or zip up or something to almost always keep my core temp up and try to not be content at, uh, you know, at like the cooler office temperature, um, turning up the heat in the car on long road trips to the point where I'm, I mean, I'm uncomfortable. I want to turn it down and, you know, I just kind of leave it up at that higher temperature and I, you know, kind of sip water to try to regulate that. And then, 
Um, obviously sauna and hot tub was a uh, key at my local Y. Um, you know, usually after a hard swim session, um, I'd get in the hot tub, um, try to get my core temp up nice and high for about maybe 15, 20 minutes. Um, I'd allow myself one quick sip of water and then I'd put it in my backpack and then I'd go sit in the sauna for another 15 or 20, um, mm-hmm. no water yeah. until I'm done. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I do some of the similar, similar things. I've also heard another, uh, top age group athlete that, uh, it'll be 90 degrees outside in October and he'll wear gloves, winter coat hat and go for like a five mile run. And that seems people probably look at you like you're, uh, absolutely nuts, but, um, that gets the job done, right? <laughs> Your core temperature is going to be going through the roof. Um, well, let's see. Um, your let's we're going to go through each step of this year's uh, Kona race, starting with the swim. Um, what were in that ten weeks block for the swim? Can you tell me about your average yards and how many swims per week? Yep, I was probably sitting probably between. Laps, if you don't do yards, <laughs> <laughs> hey, not anymore. Masters <laughs> had transformed me into speaking in yards and doing flip turns. Uh, I was probably averaging around 10 to 15,000 yards a week, you know, on a down week or a rest week, I'd be more around six to eight. Um, but 10 to 15 was pretty typical. And I'd usually do that in, in about three swims every once in a while, Brent would throw in a, a fourth on a Sunday as like an additional recovery after a long run or something like that. Um, and usually two of them, especially the five K swim I'd pretty much do every week was. Uh, more workout intensive, more interval focused. And um, the other ones were a little bit more maybe drill focused or, you know, just get in the water and and flush the system. Um, You know, don't even don't look at your watch. Don't look at pace. Just just go in there and and swim. Yeah. And your um, uh, open water swimming, is that part of your training or you you race? You do race quite a bit. So is that kind of your open water is getting out to races? I would say so. Um, and I've actually gotten feedback from one of the, uh, one of the dynamo coaches out of Atlanta that, um, she got to see me race in August. And I was basically told that I am a very poor pool swimmer. Um, but I'm actually a very good open water swimmer. Mm. Um, so whether she's referring to my ability to sight or swim a straight line or, or handle, um, waves and, you know, kind of the MMA fight that sometimes ensues out there. Um, I think my open water swimming is just very strong. So as you, as you just pointed out, I get most of my open water training from races. Um, but if I know I'm going to wear a wetsuit for a race, I try to at least get one open water swim the week before in the wetsuit and kind of double check that everything feels good. Uh, make sure the, the shoulder mobility is solid because my shoulders will get very sore in a sleeved wetsuit if I haven't worn it in six months. Um, so yeah, typically one or two open water swims, you know, two weeks leading up to the race is about all I'll do. And what is your, what is your threshold pool pace? Like if you do a, like a 20 by 100 workout on one twenty or on one twenties on one thirty, is that, is that about, would that be about right? Or maybe a little bit faster than that um, average for the one hundreds. Yeah, that's about what I can hold, I think. Um, 20, 20 would pretty much put me at my limit, I think. Sure. I know I've done, I've done at least 10, you know, leaving the wall at 130, swimming a low or under 120, I'd say. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you and, and so I think that Dynamo coach is right, though, because I, I think there's a lot of pool swimmers that will be closer to the 110, 115, and they're swimming an hour. And you're... Yeah five seconds slower in the pool, but you're able to hold an hour. And, and some of that might be your strength, right? Cause open water strength is big, a big key P- uh, body position is a little bit less important because you're, you're constantly sighting and, and looking and uh, you're also able to draft, which you're not doing in the pool. Yep. So if you get on some fast feet, but um, that's, that's great. Yeah. I would definitely choose to be fast and open water over the the pool. <laughs> what do we, what do we do? I, we, we race, we race in open water, right? Yeah. So who cares what your pool pace is? Right. Right. I feel, right. I feel like usually you see it the opposite. Um, you know, you see people are pretty decent swimmers in the pool, but then open water, it's a totally different ball game. So. so you, you raced with the women, well, most of the women, right? So you had uh, three age groups, three male age groups. You're 
50 to 54 started right in front of us. And then in front of them was 60 to 65 and basically 65 plus. And but, was, was this your first saltwater swim? I, I, yeah. I was trying to look through all your races. This is, it this was. is okay. All right. So tell us what you thought about um, swimming at the world championships in Hawaii. I mean, I, we, Michelle and I spent um, a week there in July. We swam every day at the pier. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Yeah. It's yep. really cool. Cool area so, to swim. I, I did swim every single day, except for the day before the race. Um, I was more focused on trying to get my feet up, um, look over a couple last minute things. But um, the three days prior to that, I swam each day. I got to experience the coffee boat, which was awesome. Nice. Um, and and for me, like, I really I really don't like tasting the salt water. I remember as a kid, um, my first time in the ocean, I just kept trying to spit it out constantly because it just was nasty to me. Um, so I remember when I first got in, I actually dipped my fingers in and I licked them just to kind of get that, that taste in my mouth to initiate that. And then, you know, took off. Um, but once I got going, it, it really, it didn't seem to make a difference to me. Um, a couple of my practice swims, I was looking at my pace. I didn't wear my swim skin for any of those, just my jammers. Uh, I was probably swimming 135 to 140 per hundred, say somewhat pushing, but mostly relaxed um just to kind of get a feel for it and so based on those when i was kind of predicting my swim time having swam in in the ocean uh, i was thinking i was probably going to swim close to like a 105 was going to be the best i could do mm. um, prior to getting there i thought i was going to swim like a 102 so oh, wow. yeah okay um i'm still trying to maybe wrap my brain around why i had such a good swim um one thing I typically do is I look at where I rank in each um, category, swim, bike, run against all the other age groupers. And so the fact that I was 59th on the swim and the bike, which I'm normally better on the bike, really surprised me to see that, okay, either my swim was much better than normal or maybe my bike wasn't as good as normal. Um, I was completely blown away to see, you know, that close to an hour. Um, and I'm, I'm one to glance at my watch while I'm swimming, even though I'm told I shouldn't. And as I was coming up to the pier towards the end, I looked and I saw it was 58, 30 something. And I thought if I hoofed it the rest of the way in, you know, I could be under an hour, but I was much more focused on having a quicker transition and, you know, trying to keep my heart rate down. But, yeah. Well, um, on the, um, the pro coverage, they talked about it being choppy. Did you notice that it was, it was choppy with the waves, anything to, to, notice out there or a current did you notice um, any kind of currents swimming out so my splits so i thought my splits on the way out were going to be slower than on the way back because the tide was supposed to be coming in by the time i had started um, but it actually turned out that my splits on the way out were a little quicker because my watch will buzz every 500 and i could mm -hmm. see that i swam a you know a low seven minutes so i'm somewhere around 125 per hundred the, the swells were pretty big, so you'd have to take an extra sight or two to see the buoy. Because if you're down in the bottom between some swells and you go to look, you know, you basically just see a wall of water. And so you'll have to take just another quick sight to get the buoy and just make sure that you're on the right track. Um, I think more notably was the fact that my age group started absolute last on that swim. Um it was known that we were going to be passing a lot of people since yeah. the athletes are, you know, the male athletes are all at least 50, if not older. And then all the female athletes beyond that, who were also, you know, in their fifties in terms of how close they started to us. So um, the first five, 10 minutes was everyone battling each other in my age group, just trying to, you know, find our place. And it felt like right when we all settled in, you know, everyone kind of found some feet, got in a line. You know, we caught that next age group. You could see the different colored swim caps is what I was looking for. So I saw yellow or gold, whatever it was, um, and knew that, okay, now we're going to start making passes. And so weaving through those athletes um, with a big mob that's all swimming close to an hour was uh, certainly difficult for about five minutes. Then we kind of settled, but then we caught the next age group. Then we caught the next one. And then, you know, the last... 20 minutes of the swim, there was six or seven age groups all clustered together. And 
Um, I thought I was having a pretty bad swim because I kept having to slow down, back off my pace, back off my effort as I came up to feet, tried to pass. But, you know, there's a guy on my right that's also trying to pass and I'm fighting to get on this guy's feet. But clearly this guy wants to be on that guy's feet, too. Um, So it felt like there was almost no break during the swim. And to get back to the very initial question, I don't know that I ever like really got to soak it in and enjoy it. Um, I remember in St. George when I was sighting, I could see all the, you know, the red rock and the bluffs and everything. And I, I was able to take that in in Kona. I, I didn't get to enjoy yeah. it. At right. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, the first 500 you're fighting with your, your age group and then you finally catch another egg. So yeah, I can, I can see exactly what you're talking about. And based on what things are going to be next year, it'll be wave starts again. And, um, very much the same where you'll be. And it's not going to start with the fastest age group and work their way down. It's or it's, it's just going to be mixed mixed bag. So, yep. um, how about the bike? I know it's something that you've developed a lot over the past past few years. Um, and um, you know, you had a five oh seven bike split um, on a on a you know pretty challenging. It was it was a much more challenging day on Thursday than it was on Saturday. I think for based on conversations with other with other athletes. So. Um, actually, so let's talk about bike training. What were, what were some of your, uh, big workouts leading into it? Uh, what did you do to prepare yourself for, for Kona? Yep. So a lot of the, uh, I'd say the bikes where I have the most time to gain. So that's where I've spent the most time, um, probably averaging on my bigger week, somewhere between 10 to 15 hours a week on the bike. Um, so some of those double century rides would really add up where I basically just put in 10 or 11 hours on the weekend alone. Um, a lot of the big bike sessions, as you mentioned earlier, included um, some tougher intervals in addition to all that volume. So, you know, a lot of Ironman watts and occasional uh, 70.3 watts kind of thrown in there. So the two by one hour Ironman watts was probably the toughest one that I did. Um, I did a couple other ones where I would progress down where I would do uh, 60 minutes, 45, 30, 15 at Ironman Watts with, you know, 15 minute easy between. Um, what what is your uh, what is your Ironman Watts? What is a what's your target? Targets between probably 210 and 220. So okay. for my specific um, race plan, I was told to target between. What do you say? Either 210 or 211 to 216 is kind of a, a tighter window. Um, and he he made sure to specify that your normalized power. So, okay. um, you know, if you're if you're needing to coast down a hill because you run out of gears, you know, and your watch drop, don't push 300 watts to pull your average back up to 200. Like um, and with the descent down, Javi, um, you know, going 40 miles an hour for five, 10 minutes straight with those crosswinds. I mean, I pretty much didn't pedal at all for most mm-hmm. of that. So, uh, yeah, so that was my target. And in training, I was consistently hitting it, consistently feeling good. Um, by the end of some of those workouts, I questioned whether or not I could do that for, for five hours. Sure. Is um, your, uh, FTP and the three, like low three hundreds, is that what you'd guess? I, it, I don't know if you do FTP tests very frequently, but, um, yeah. yeah, we haven't done a test in, I'd say, two years, um, but we usually do one key um, hard bike session once a week. And that's kind of my indicator based on how close I am to even failing that workout, you know, that that PP set properly. Um, so I'd say it's probably about two, three months ago, we bumped it up to 305 um, for training on Zwift since everything's all percentage based. So, yeah, since maybe July or so I've been training as if my FTP is 305, whether or not that's the case or not, I've been able to hit all the workouts and that would kind of indicate that around that 210, 215 would be, would be the Ironman effort. Sure. Yeah. So, so you do, you use Zwift, um, you know, for, for some of your training is that, um, are there specific workouts you do on Zwift or is it just kind of based on whether, where, when you can get out, if you can get out, do you prefer to get outdoors when you can? Yeah, I always prefer to get outdoors if I can, if it's a very specific or just a, an incredibly intense workout, I prefer to do it on Zwift. 
Um, that way I can truly push myself to the max, not worry about toppling over. I can have all my nutrition there. Um, you know, I can sit up and drink when I want and kind of nail those key sessions. Um, if it's something simple like over-unders and, and the weather's good, I'll absolutely do it outside every time. Um, I typically don't shy away from the rain. If it's raining, I, I don't really care. I'll still get out as long as it's warm. Um, the only thing that really puts me inside are key sessions and then weather that might cause me to crash. So sure. extremely high winds plus rain and, you know, 50 degrees or something like that would put me inside. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. In the Midwest, we do get quite a bit of, quite a bit of wind. Um, and there's, you know, everybody thinks that Iowa and Illinois is pretty flat, but there's some decent hills out here too. So <laughs> get some, get some decent practice. Um, so on your, for your ride, it, what were some of the big takeaways for riding on, uh, the Kona course? Like, what did you enjoy about it? What would you look at differently going forward? Um, so I think that course suits me very well because it's simple. Um, it's basically an out and back on one road with, you know, a turnaround and there's a couple turns in town to get out there. But other than that, it's an incredibly simple um, bike course. And I'll admit that I am a very poor bike handler. So a race like Wisconsin actually is, does not suit me very well because of all the turns and how technical it is. Right. Um, you know, if I can't take a turn at 25 and someone can, you know, that's going to separate them from me. So for me, it's a very simple course. Um, the roads are in great condition. Um, I actually, I mean, I would say it is, it's an easy course despite having, you know, a little over 4,000 feet of gain, really just the climb up to Javi is probably the only tough part, but in terms of gearing, I think I was in one, one twice, two or three times that entire race. So the climbs aren't very steep. They're pretty gradual. Um, you can kind of use your momentum on some of them. Um, so yeah, I'd say overall, it's a, it's a pretty easy course. Of course it's warm, but I mean, yeah. to me, that just means you just need to drink more fluid. You got to hit all the aid stations, um, for the two day format, it was a little more difficult because they had less volunteers. And so the aid stations were more spread out than normal um so they were less often and so that meant that um i could get away with skipping one here or there but for the most part i had to i had to get something from every aid station and having raced it i would argue that you should get something from every aid station and at minimum grab a cold water at the end and and cool yourself off you know spray it in your vent in your aero helmet spray it all of yourself and then just dump it Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you're in Arrow most of that time in that course, right? There's really no reason to come out of Arrow. So was that something that you thought about doing or in your training? Do, do you have any issue with riding in Arrow that long? Wisconsin's a course that you don't need to ride in Arrow that much. There's just so much up and down. But yeah, I definitely had a lot of good practice in Arrow because at least where I ride on the Illinois side here, uh, unless I'm seeking out hills, I mean, it's it's crazy flat. So when I'm doing my, you know, one hour at Ironman effort, I may only take one or two right-hand turns. Um, otherwise, I'm in arrow the entire time. I've got my arrow bottle. And if it's not windy, I'll even take nutrition while keeping, you know, one arm on the pad and eat that way. If it is windy, I'll, I'll make sure I sit up just so I don't crash. We'll have to, yeah, have, we'll have, to have you train Michelle. I'm laughing because I, I'm still struggling to take a water bottle off my frame at all, let alone... <laughs> thinking about doing anything in arrow so so um, she, she has her bottle in between her arms <laughs> and she'll do a 70.3 with just that she won't take anything from the aid station and she won't take anything from her frame or her seat i gotta make so, it last, uh, we yeah. gotta just make that 32 ounces go a long ways yeah. so we gotta work we gotta work on it uh <laughs> i have some bike skills to work on for sure well, so do i all right so you finished the bike um get going on the run. Um, do we want to talk about any key training for the run? Um, average, average volume. You said, you know, 745 is your easy pace. Um, do you do uh, what percentage of your runs are easy pace versus race pace? Um, uh, that kind of, I don't know if you, if you thought that deeply about your training, but probably 80 to 90% are pretty much all easy runs. So I'd say the majority of the bricks that I do, they're they're only 15 to 20 minutes after my, you know, 100 plus mile rides just to find the legs, shut it down, you know, keep it all zone two for the most part. 
um, as the race got closer, um, I would find my legs for 10 minutes and then slowly ramp my heart rate up to, um, you know, Ironman marathon effort, which for me is, you know, like a 155 to, to 160. So I'd over the course of maybe that next mile, get it up to, to 155 and then just kind of hold it there for the duration of the run and then shut it down. Um, there's definitely a little bit of speed work in there, not too much, um, you know, like half mile repeats, mile repeats, stuff like that. Um, I'd say the, the key run sessions that I did were, you know, an hour brick off of an Ironman effort type ride, um, where for that one hour, I basically just go straight into Ironman effort. So you get like a little taste of it for an hour. Um, and in those, those runs, I was running like 640, 650 pace, but you know, it was 70 degrees here. So that actually wasn't too bad. Right. Um, and I would actually finish those runs feeling like I want to go more, you know, okay. but even that's good. Now, I think that's what you want. Right. And, um, but you did do race, did you race one seventy point three in the buildup or two, or did you I'm trying to remember? Uh, well, I had chat, but that was two weeks post St. George. Okay. Um, so I just kind of did it to do it. Um, I had no bike legs in that race whatsoever, but um, Steelhead was kind of in the build, part of the build. Right. Uh, I did get a decent taper for it, but, you know, not like a full taper. Um, and then I... Was there a local one, a, lo- a local 70.3 in there? Yeah, I had two, two local half Ironmans in... Uh, June and July, the one in June, I was not allowed to um, raise my heart rate past 152 during that okay. race. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was in Springfield. So I swam and biked as hard as I could and wanted. Um, was actually leading the race out of T1 um, and basically was just getting hunted the entire run while I was. <laughs> You're just staring at your watch like my coach is going to yell at me <laughs> if it goes higher than this. But oh, if he man. gets closer, I'm going to have to step it up. I'm not going to lose the race. Um, well, I just find it interesting. I mean, I know you're, I see your Strava and you do run, you do a lot of your runs at easy pace. And, um, and I, I, we've chatted with other athletes that are very much the same, even like the athlete that we just talked with that will, will be doing their podcast as well. You know, his easy pace is eight thirties yet. He ran a three Oh one. So, you know, you're looking at, you know, some, 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 they've got this huge, ability to, to run at a high level and really fast, but they know, Hey, what's really important today is just running this easy pace. So I can do the next workout really well and not get injured. Not beating yourself up. Yeah, As you know, injuries slow the progress down. You can't be consistent when you're, when you're injured, not able to run. Um, so running slower and being able to get good volume and stay healthy is, is key. And as we talk to more athletes, we continue to hear that. So it's, it's definitely something that I'm, we're going to jot down and hopefully other athletes that are uh, listening and, and um, they, they take that seriously. Cause yeah. if you're, if your goal pace is eight minutes a mile, you know, for, for Ironman, you should probably run, you should probably be running nine, right. Yeah. Or close I, to it. I, I so, could not agree more. Yeah. yeah. You're, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so your run, I mean, you had a great run at three fifteen, um, and the 20th, fastest run um and that's overall that was the, the age group right age group, age but group. i mean you passed a lot of your a lot of yeah, age group uh, competitors the, in the run right that um so how was i mean i know the run course is pretty pretty special um how was it how was your experience out there was it you know you got off your bike started the run um you know what was it what was it like out there <laughs> So the first mile, I wasn't quite sure exactly how it was going to turn out. Uh, my legs didn't feel great. Um, I knew I didn't overbike, so I'm like, why do I? Why do my legs feel trashy right now? I'm only a mile in. I had to take a goo immediately within like three to five minutes. Um, I've had that experience before, where um, I all of a sudden just start slowing down and I can't figure out why, and then I take a goo, and then all of a sudden I'm back to running my pace. So, you know, took that in right away. Um, saw family saw um my team my coach uh you know kind of got that boost and i think i clocked like a seven minute mile 
uh, the first one, I was like, okay, so this, this actually isn't too bad. This is about what I want to run. Um, kind of monitored my heart rate. And that first out and back down Ollie Drive was, it was definitely the best part of the run. Um, tons of spectators, some people with garden hoses spraying you down, um, occasional shade from trees. Uh, it was, uh, to me, it felt easy. It felt like a training day. I just kept checking the heart rate, you know, 155, 158, you know, seeing where it was starting to settle. Um, and it felt easy. I felt smooth. I felt strong. I felt really good all the way through that out and back um, until I finished that section of the race. Uh, and that was maybe six or seven miles, I think, till we finished that out and back. Sounds right. Yeah. Um, after that, you make a right hand turn and you climb up Polani, which is, you know, probably the steepest hill Steep, on the yeah. run. Right. Um, and it's not all that short either. Like it's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's pretty decently easy. long too. Yeah. So, you know, I just shuffled up it, let people pass me as they wanted. It's kind of whatever, just kept looking at my heart rate, got up the hill. Um, and then that takes you up to the queen K and up there, there is, you know, there's no shade, there's no coverage. Um, you know, you're now on really hot pavement. The lava rock around you is also scorching hot because the sun's just been beating down on it all day. And then there's little to no fans or support or people out there. Yeah. Um, so and the aid stations as well were spread out a little more. Yeah. And, the and I don't, I don't want to dwell or complain on that too much because, because everybody had to do it. And I, I think I saw two guys in my age group run sub three. So if those two guys can do that with the aid station spread out, then, you know, I'm, I should not be one to complain that they're so far apart and it, you know, affected my run. So, but yeah, it, it definitely made it harder. Um, but I didn't start to feel that until about mile 12 to 14 that, okay, where is that next aid station? Like I need water. I need fluid. I'm starting to run low. Um, the the volunteers were a little scarce at the aid stations as well. So I had run past two different aid stations where the first table, the volunteer had their back to me because they were busy working to fill the cups. And so I grabbed two cups off the table, both empty. Oh. And, oh, no. and that's, you know, that's four to eight ounces of fluid that I just missed out on on my first grab. Um, and I, I think that that started to wear on me. So was that uh, volunteer I'll, by chance, Jan Ferdino? Can we blame him for not filling the cup? <laughs> Did you get when, a cup of water from Jan? Did you see him handing out waters? When they told me he was out there at that aid station, I was like beating myself up because uh, when I race, I'm very tunnel vision to okay. the point yeah. where, like people cheering me on. Don't think I even see him or notice him, but my, my acknowledgement, maybe not quite there. <laughs> and so I had to have just run right past him. I had oh. no idea. Oh, and I, yeah. couldn't, I, I think if he handed me a cup, I definitely would have caught that. You might've, <laughs> might've figured it out. So you, so you made it through the queen K through, um, energy lab, like, did it just get just like it just got punishing more and more That's heat strange. as you went all the way into the energy lab and then you came back around and you had to go back out to the Queen K? So, um, yeah. So that part of the course, so that was different. Um, that first out and back that I talked about, that got shortened by maybe a mile and a half or so. So that was about three miles that got cut from what I would consider the easy part of the run. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that got added into the energy lab oh, and that was horrendous oh, i was yeah. i could not find that turnaround to save my life i was like where is it you know i'm at mile 15 and i still haven't turned yet yeah. um yeah. and that was the point where i i felt like okay i'm i'm in a little bit of trouble uh, my special needs bag was sitting at 16 and a half or something like that you know and i left myself a disposable bottle but when i got it it was 90 95 degrees mm. didn't help very much um, and I was really feeling that hydrate dehydration. Um, and so as you just said, so running out of the energy lab, it's a long, steady, probably mile long incline and the wind is at your back. And for me, it was probably about three o'clock, maybe three thirty, And, uh, that was like melt your skin tight heat. Um, it felt like I was wow. running on a treadmill and a sauna and people were blowing hair dryers on me. And, uh, and we and we sign up for this and we look forward to it our entire career and then you get out there but i i i'm i still can't wait for october of 
of 23 to experience it, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'll have some nightmares before. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was probably the moment in the race where like, if I were to say like I was broken or like the race broke me, it was, it was mile 18. Like I, I remember it so distinctly. I just wanted to get to that turnaround and, and feel some wind again. Um, uh, looking at my Garmin, that was my slowest mile of the run. I think I ran like an 855. Um, and it just, it just decimated me. And so the mile, whatever, 19 aid station was the first time I walked. Um, I decided at that point, um, the fluids and ice and everything was so critical that I could not risk grabbing an empty cup again. So as soon as I got to the front of the aid station, I walked and I, I basically put in as much as my body could take without, you know, stitching up or cramping. Uh, as soon as I got to the end, you know, I'd keep running. But, yeah. and then, you know, as you know, the last 10 K is just kind of a dog fight um, back up on the queen K. I remember I was running in the, say the shadow of the guardrail. It was uh, <laughs> putting shade on my shins. I thought that that was making a difference. I yeah, was kind of shade. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But then you'd make the right turn. Was it back on Polani, right? And then go down the Leahy drive to the finish. And I, I mean, I just, yeah, I, I got to hear your perspective of that experience because it looks amazing on TV. Yeah, uh, I I think that because of how late my age group started, you know, even as like a 930 finisher, you know, I, I technically finished 11, over 11 hours after the start. Um, a lot of the fans, a lot of the people that were there had kind of left. Oh, um, okay. I was actually left a little disappointed with the finish. I feel like if you're kind of in that, maybe the middle finishing time on, on the day, I'll say, sure. um, as opposed to being like a midnight finisher at night where, it, you know, people all kind of come back. Yeah. Um, it, I hate to say this, but it wasn't as special um, as I thought it would be, but I still, I still did kind of tear up once my feet hit the carpet and I realized I was about to finish, you know, world championship race. Um, I started to tear up just a little bit towards the end there. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, well, yeah. sorry to hear that. Cause I mean, but yeah, when they had the mass starts, right. So like if it, if it was a mass start, you would have been finishing pretty early and there were more than likely would be more people on the, on the course at that point. Yeah. But yeah, well, congratulations to you. I mean, overall sounds like an awesome day and really cool to hear kind of a recap of how your experience went there. Yeah. Um, should we go into some just kind of fun questions? Yeah, let's ask some. <laughs> let's ask some fun questions. We don't fun. have like rapid fire or right. any, like, uh, any cool uh, music to play, but um, why don't you? Okay. So you, oh, actually, go I got one that I thought about. So okay. um, you went to the coffee boat. What is your go-to coffee? Whether it's at the boat or like at every day, like do you have coffee in the, the morning? Go-to coffee order. What is your coffee order at <laughs> Starbucks or one of your one of your places? So I'm I'm kind of a wimp. I like lattes typically um i i really don't drink coffee black um, <laughs> otherwise if i brew coffee at home you know i use french vanilla creamer usually and it's it's really it's whatever my wife ty uh buys from costco in bulk um but we, we do like grind our own beans at least so it's well, that's good, right, that's good. yeah, yeah um, there's there's definitely some good um we found a, a, a coffee roaster out of boulder colorado um so we we are on their subscription um mm -hmm. and it, it makes us feel closer to the triathlon community because it's from boulder you know yeah. but uh but it's 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 good stuff so i'll have to let, let you know what that what that uh company is it's totally yeah. worth it um um so let's see uh who would you love to spend a day training with like a oh a professional triathlete or maybe maybe not um, the two of my favorite triathletes are Tim O'Donnell and Brenda Carfrey. Um, I, I think he, he seems to be, uh, one of the, maybe the wiser racers out there and, and his second place finish in 2019 at Kona was just absolutely incredible to see. Uh, and then Rennie being a multiple, you know, Kona champion herself, um, just kind of following them on social. They seem like a really fun group. Their kids are absolutely adorable. And it always seems like they're just kind of, they're kind of having fun with them. Um, but if I were to like train with someone, uh, it would have to be Gustav Eden. And <laughs> this is like 
pre him winning Kona. He was my, he was definitely my pick to win even over Blumenfeld. Um, but ever since he won, uh, Nice, I've been, I've been following him hardcore and just had a ton of respect for, you know, someone who won a world championship race without a bike sponsor type thing, you know, like he brought himself up and, and now he's got all the sponsors and, you know, maybe additional support, but he seemed like he pretty much got there himself. And that seemed really cool to me. I hope to see him. I know he said he's not racing next year. I hope, I hope he changes his mind and he races next year. I, I think he's my favorite Norwegian uh, for sure, but he's just a funny guy. And, but he's, uh, he's very insightful to um, his, his, uh, I, I follow the same things all on YouTube and, and um, any podcast that he does too. So um, what is your favorite piece of gear right now? Do you have something that you are really excited every time you either put it on or whatever? Piece of gear. Um, I'd actually say my, I'm looking at it right now. My, my zone three swim skin that I have. Um, it was actually a gift from my coach, uh, two years ago, I think when I originally qualified for Kona, uh, he had worked out a deal with zone three. Um, and I think it's just one of those, you kind of put it on, it's a nice tight fit. You look fast, feel fast, be fast. Um, I had a decent swim in it in Kona too. So absolutely. Uh, zone, zone three, if you want to sponsor Matt Jackson, you know. <laughs> Send them some more free stuff. Yeah, I keep <laughs> any free stuff. Unfortunately, I keep, I keep leaving your goggles behind at races all the time. So I'm buying a new pair probably every other month. Um, I will say those goggles. I I've never had a leak in a race, and they're my go-to. I've never had any discomfort with them either. So, but I'd say I'd actually say Zone Three Swim Skin is uh, cool. One of my favorite. I like it. I like it. Um, let's see what's. Uh, one piece of advice you have for an age group athlete trying to qualify for Kona. I was hoping you'd ask this question. (laughs) Not that I'm wise by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but having, having done this for, okay, it's really only been, I guess, five years, you know, people have been doing it for 20 plus, uh, it's just about consistency. Um, sure. My, my training has evolved and changed over the years. Um, but consistently training kind of year in and year out and just building uh, off of what you've already done is, is I think, probably the number one thing. And then just having patience with it. So, I mean, as we've talked about, I started in 2017 and I didn't qualify till 2021. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so it basically took me four years and I never really stopped training other than maybe a couple months after that first full, um, you know, to get there. And yeah, I'd, I'd just say being consistent with your training and being patient um, and trying to find a good coach, you know, yeah. Brent yeah. is, uh, he's incredibly insightful. Um, I thought that I learned everything I needed to learn from him going into Tulsa. Um, so I actually coached myself, St. George, um, didn't have a super great race and, uh, you know, started talking to him about Kona. And I said, well, he goes, what do you need to do? I said, well, I need to improve my bike. He said, how are you going to do that? I said, I don't know. And he asked me, you know, how are you going to do that? I said, I said, I guess I need a coach. And he goes, there you go. <laughs> so, I like it. I like it. You know, we yeah. ended up working together again. And yeah, he took me all the way up to Kona. So you already mentioned kind of what's next. You're you're racing in, in, in a couple of weeks in Florida, right? Um, what's the date? Um, I know this podcast is probably not going to air until after that race, but, um, yeah, November 5th is the, the date for Florida. So that's exactly four weeks after Kona. 70.3, not, no, the, not the full. It is the full. Oh, you're oh, doing wow. the full. Okay. Yep. So this will hopefully be my slot for 23. Um, not that, to was get my, that was my next question. So you're, you do want to race Kona next year? Yes. All right. Yes, I, All right. When I was at mile 18 on the run, <laughs> I figured I'd know. Um, but after the race, and I actually think one of the bigger reasons is uh, my wife's still working really hard in physical therapy school right now. So she couldn't make it 
with mm-hmm. me to come home. Uh, yeah. And so I've got extra motivation to qualify against. So we can have a nice so you can bring her. Yeah. Um, well, we look forward to hopefully seeing you uh, racing next year in Kona. Uh, where can where can we follow your journey? Um, what socials? You have a blog. Why don't you share that with uh, with our listeners? Sure. So uh, the blog is uh, Road to Kona MJ at blogspot.com. Um, uh, my coaching and like racing website where I have some information about me with uh, my times, my coaching information uh, is M Jackson Multisport. Um, you can pretty much just type that all in one word, uh, you know, in Google and it should come up that way. We'll add um, it to the show notes as well. So it'll, it'll yeah. be in there. Yep. Okay. And then you can also just follow me on Instagram or Facebook. Um, and you can probably share those handles too. Absolutely. Well, thanks for sharing your your journey, your mission to Kona, how it went. And uh, we're excited to continue to follow uh, your racing over the next year and see you in Kona. Yeah. Hopefully we'll find out in two weeks here. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. Right. Good luck. Good luck. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Mission Kona Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Do you know an athlete who has a great story for a future podcast? Send us a message at missionkonapodcast.com. Reach out anytime through our website or on Instagram at missionkonapodcast. Till next time, think positive, have fun, and stay focused on your mission to Kona.